A few weeks ago, I mentioned to you that we're going to start off the new year with a series called Surprised. And I think uh, most people enjoy surprises if it's a good surprise, right? We don't like the negative surprises. We like good surprises, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And so being surprised is something that really just gets your heart pumping. It's, it's a shock to the system, and if it's a good surprise, we love it. And so we love being surprised, and I think we love surprising people. And, and there's this phenomenon right now of fake surprises. Fake surprises. It's called selfies. Have you ever seen people do that? Can we laugh at ourselves for just a moment? This isn't the entire species, but it's just a part of the species, is taking selfies. And of course, when you take a selfie, it's not just take a selfie. It's like, okay, is the sun right? Is, what's the background? Can we get the arms stretched out as far as we possibly can? And you got to make sure everything's just right. And, you know, you got to... And then, you know, you're with somebody, okay, can, is it good for you? And it's, okay, are we good? We're good? All right, ready? On three. Ready? One, two. Yeah. <laughs> That's just funny when people do that, you know? Because uh, I think in, in 25 years, our grandkids are going to look at that and go, you were taking a picture of yourself. What surprised you? You know, what can possibly surprise you? But anyway, but this is what a true surprise looks like when your son drives to your house from Texas and you didn't know he was going to be there. Let's give Lisa a hand. That's a surprise. That was a lot of fun. I actually just grabbed my phone at the last second. I said, hey, let's record this. So I'm glad I did. So, Well, God has a way of surprising us. And I think this year is going to be a year of great surprises from God. God surprised Abraham by allowing him to be a father when he was about 100 and his wife was about 90. I'd say that was a surprise, even though it had been, of course, promised. Moses was surprised by God speaking to him through a burning bush. And then at one point, God telling him, you see that shepherd's staff that's in your hand? Throw it down, and it became a snake. That would surprise anyone. He surprised Moses by helping him lead about two million Jews out of captivity in Egypt. And then, of course, backing them up to the Red Sea with the Egyptian army pursuing them. And then all of a sudden, the Red Sea parts. That's a great and awesome surprise. God loves to surprise us. He surprised Gideon, who was a, a kind of a leader of a ragtag group of uh, people called an army. But God said, you have too many. You have 30,000, and we're going to reduce it down to 300. And you're going to go against a much mightier force. But I'm going to prevail with 300 men as opposed to what you started with. That's a surprise. God surprised David by saying at the age of probably 17, you're going to be the next king of Israel and the greatest human king of Israel. God surprised Esther by saving an entire generation of Jews through her bold humility. God surprised Mary 
and Joseph by saying, when the Messiah comes to the planet, you're going to be in charge of him for quite a few years. Surprise. He surprised the disciples by saying, you are with me in this kingdom, and I'm sending you out, and now you're going to preach the kingdom, and you are going to praise, you are going to raise the dead and heal the sick. You are going to do the work of the kingdom. Then he also surprised the Pharisees, the real religious people, who were putting moral weights on other people that they themselves would not even try to fulfill. And he surprised them by saying, though you have the appearance of righteousness, you are actually whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. God has a way of surprising us, and I want to be surprised by God this year. How about you? Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Acts, chapter number one, and this is where we're going to camp for several weeks now. We're going to just start running through the book of Acts because if there's a book in the Bible that is absolutely chock full, packed full of surprises, it is definitely the book of Acts. And we're going to start at chapter number one and verse number one. We're not going to read this entire chapter, but a good portion of it. So we're in Acts, chapter one, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Chapter number one, and let's start reading at verse number one. Now, Luke is the author of the book of Acts. He's the one that penned it. So he first writes the gospel of Luke, but then he writes the book of Acts. And so he starts off, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, He had chosen. After his suffering, after his crucifixion, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, here Luke references in verse number four one of the conversations that Jesus had. With his disciples, he said, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight." See, Jesus was giving the disciples those last words of instruction right before he ascended back into heaven. Vitally important for them to know what is going to transpire. Vitally important words to hear from someone who you will not see for a long time. And he speaks to them and he says, this is what's going to happen. You've heard it prophesied in the Old Testament. John spoke about it. I have spoken to you about it, and this is what's going to happen. He says, basically, you're going to be surprised. Nothing you could anticipate will match what I'm going to do. Aren't you thankful that our God says, I can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can ask or think, according to the power that is worked within you? 
Let's look at three different aspects of what we've read, and we're going to read just a little bit more in a moment. But let's look at three different things that God wants to surprise us with in 2020. And I believe this is applicable to you as an individual and to your family. I truly believe that God is going to speak to many people here today and say, yes, this is for you. This is, this is not just spread out and everybody else gets it but not me. But I would challenge you and encourage you today to take on a pa- posture in your heart to say, I am ready to be surprised by God. Well, the first thing that we recognize here is that God surprises us with promise. The Bible is filled with promise. It's filled with promises, sometimes to specific people, but sometimes to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord and anyone who is a follower of Christ. The promises of Jesus bearing the penalty for our sin started in Genesis right after Adam and Eve sinned. Immediately, God gives us a promise that this time period of being under the bondage and weight of sin would come to an end. God speaks to Adam and he says, hey, what have you done? You did what I told you not to do. Adam, typical man, looks at Eve and said, it was her. That's true. You should read that in Genesis 3. He said, this woman, you gave me this woman. This woman, she did it. I mean, she gave it to me. If wife gives it to you, you got to eat it. I mean, you know, you don't have any choice about it. So he looks to Eve and he says, what have you done? Eve, following the leadership of her husband, did the same thing her husband did. He, she said, this devil, this serpent, she's passing the buck. Satan turns to the serpent and pronounces on him Satan in that form of a serpent and says, listen, you're, you're cursed. You're going you're gonna to crawl on the ground all the days of your life and you're going to suck up dust, basically. But then referencing not just the serpent, but Satan He says, Satan, this is what's going to happen. There's going to come one, the seed of the woman, who will eventually come as that Messiah. And you are going to bruise his heel, but he is going to crush your head. That was the first prophecy about the Messiah. Aren't you thankful that is a courageous, bold, overcoming proclamation, a promise that the Messiah, Jesus, is going to crush Satan's head. And that's what happened on the cross when Jesus shed his blood for your sin, for my sin, and the Bible says the sin of the entire world. So the Messiah, Jesus coming, was promised way back in the book of Genesis. In the the, uh, book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel 36, 26, God gives us a promise and he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Some of you remember before you met Christ and you had that heart of stone. You were determined to do it your way. You were determined to go your way and to live life your way. I became friends, uh, Lisa and I both became friends with, a, with a, an older couple who lived in this community, and, and, and I actually helped paint their house a couple of different times when I was painting houses. And I, this gentleman was from Great Britain, and he was very cold to the gospel. He would not talk about God or Jesus or church or anything. And so I had to be very careful. And I would just slip in little seeds here and there and ask a little question here and there. And we became friends, and he respected me, and I respected him. 
But it was at the end of his life when he began to realize, you know what? I'm not right with God. I'm not right with God. And in his own British way, I went to visit him in the hospital just a couple of days before he was going to pass away. And he said to me, Chris, I'm not right with God, and you've got to get me right with God. (laughs) He had lived his life his way. But aren't you thankful that in the end he recognized, I can't do it my way and get to heaven. I've got to do it his way. And it was less than 48 hours after he prayed to accept Christ as his Savior that he met Christ face to face because he passed away. See, God takes out of us that heart of stone, that heart of selfishness and, 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 and doing it our way. And he says, I'm going to put a heart with, uh, within you that's like flesh. It's going to be soft. It's going to be pliable. I can work with that. I can mold and shape you. Aren't you thankful that even though we make mistakes, even though, even as Christians, when we make mistakes, that God says, hey, I'm still working with you. I'm still working on you, and I'm still working through you. He doesn't give up on us, even though we make mistakes. In Jesus said there in chapter, uh, verse number four of what we just read, he said, you've heard me speak about this. He said, you, I've already spoken to you about this promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out, of you receiving power to be my witnesses. He says, you've, you've already heard me speak about it. I've already given you these promises, blessings with persecution." He says, I promise you that you'll do greater works than I've done. God gives us promise that we're going to receive eternal life. We're going to receive salvation. We're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. But he also says, hey, let's get real. I'm going to give you blessing with persecution. That is a promise of God. I know what you're thinking right now. I'll take the first half of that promise and I'll give you the second half. I'll take the blessing. You take the persecution. But the mistake that the church, overall church, is making in America today is that we're only talking about the blessing and we're not talking about hardship. And our young people are being raised in an atmosphere where they're told it's all blessing, it's all good, it's all warm, it's all fuzzy, it's all wonderful. And then when they hit persecution, when they have a difficulty, it's blowing them out of the water. They don't know how to handle it. We must, in the church in America, get back to preaching the full gospel. Jesus said, I'm giving you promises. Yes, I'm giving you power. Yes, I'm giving you a new life. And you're going to receive blessing with persecution. He said, in this world, you might have trouble. No, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. Don't let it bother you. I've overcome the world. That's our God. He says, you're in this world, but you're not actually of this world. Verse number five, what we just read, Jesus says, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive a baptism that no one else has ever received before, and it's going to be in the Holy Spirit, not because you're the son of a prophet or the son of a priest or the son of a king, but just because you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But for what purpose? Remember, if you were, if uh, I was raised Baptist uh, for, for all my childhood and teenage years, and if you've ever been in a Baptist church, you've probably heard the, the hymn, Standing on the Promises, right? 
Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. God is giving you promises today in this season of your life. There are going to be brand new promises for you. You'll be reading in God's word and all of a sudden that, that verse will just leap out at you and you go, that's for me. It's not a new promise, but it's new to you and it'll be new to me because it's in the right now moment. And that's where we've got to receive God's promises and stand on God's promises. We've got to secure our commitment to the promises of God. And his promises are secure because he's a faithful God and he cannot lie. You and I might lie, but God will never lie. Your neighbor might lie, your boss, your employee, anybody, everybody might lie, but God cannot lie. And so when he says it, it's going to happen. But for what purpose? The purpose is for the power that we're going to receive. He says, I'm promising you eternal life. I'm promising a baptism in the Holy Spirit so that you will have power. That's the second thing that God is going to surprise us with is power. I'm thankful that the power of God working through us is not determined by how good we are. It's not determined by how smart we are. It's not determined by how many degrees we have or how much this or how much that. It is determined by God's will working through our lives. Paul proclaimed it so boldly. He said, in my weakness, that's when your strength really shows forth. In my weakness, that's when everyone can see it's really you working through me because I am weak. He, he said, I didn't come to you with persuasive words of man's wisdom so that your confidence would not be in a man, but it would be in God. So the power of God works through us who are weak. The power of God works through us who are humble and just recognize, God, I need you. The power is the fulfillment of a promise from God. It is the fulfillment of a promise and promises of God. In other words, timing is vitally important. God gives us promises, but then he fulfills those promises. And what Jesus was telling these guys was that, listen, you've heard this promise in the Old Testament. I've spoken to you about this promise, but now it's going to happen. It's just a few days away. And the power that they received in Acts chapter 2 was a fulfillment of the promise of God. There is a right now to the fulfillment of the promises of God. Now, there are some promises that are given, and it's about the church overall, and it's the church in general, and we hold on to those promises, but we may never see them. But when God gives you a promise, you're going to see it. Pursue, fulfill, and you're going to see it. And this is the fulfillment, the right now fulfillment of the promise of God. And that will help us to never lose sight of the why. That was, why does God give us power? Why does God promise us power? There's a why. There's a purpose behind it. And there have been those who have tried to say, well, the power's about me. And the power's never about us. But the power is so that we can accomplish what God has for us. Some of you have heard this before. Some of you, it might be brand new. It says, here's a story titled, Whose Job Is It Anyway? Some of you might have heard this. It's kind of quick, and you got to pay attention, so wake up. All right? 
This is a story about four people. One was named everybody. One was named somebody. One was named anybody. And one was named nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have. God gives us power so that we will fulfill the purposes that he's placed us on this planet for. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the entire earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is searching for those whose hearts are just committed, not perfect, not have it all together, but just committed to him. He says, man, I'm going to strengthen you and I'm going to fill you with power so you can fulfill the purpose that I placed you on this planet to fulfill. Which leads us to part number three, God's going to surprise us with people. It's promise, it's power, and it's people. And this is where God really shines because he empowers people to help people. He empowers people not just so they'll have power, but he empowers people to help people. What is the first thing that the disciples did after Jesus ascended back into heaven? What is the very first thing that they did? Well, we stopped reading just before that portion of Acts chapter 1. But here's what they did. It's, you can read there in verse number 21. They said, therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus lived among us. The first thing they did was to replace the apostle Judas. They said, hey, there have been 12 of us. That's the plan. God revealed that to us. But one of them is gone. One of us is gone. Judas forsook the faith, forsook Christ, committed suicide. We've got to replace him. And that's what they did. Verse 22, he says, somebody that's been living among us from the beginning, from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of Jesus' resurrection. The first thing they did was focus on people. The first thing they did was say, we've got to have another person join us, come with us to be a witness of Jesus' resurrection. I love the qualification. Well, he's got to have a master's degree in theology. Uh, he's got to pastor a church of over a thousand people for at least six months. You know, no, none of those. There's one requirement. He had to be with us from the beginning and still with us now. That was it. The first thing they did was say, we need another person. We need one more person. Could that be the theme of Hope Crossings this year? God surprises us with one more person. Lord, there's a seat. How many of you have an empty seat beside you? That's an empty seat that you can fill next week by bringing somebody with you. To say every person has a place. Every person is important. Lord, surprise us with just one more person. And Lord, help me find that one more person. Maybe you're here for the very first time. Someone invited you to Hope Crossings. You're that one more person. You're just as important as anyone and everyone else. 
And this is going to be a year of surprise when God brings people into our congregation who don't have it all together, who don't have a PhD in theology, who are just living life, trying to make it, trying to figure it out. And God is going to surprise them and blow them away by giving him his promises and his power. And God's going to blow you away by seeing the transformation in people's lives and also in your own. Because the power of God given to us is always about people. Life together is better than life alone. Here's something you can remember, please. Every promise and all power God gives you is to equip you to help people. There's no promise that God's going to give you that's just about you. It's about you and how you're going to help other people. There's no power God's going to give you that's just about you or just about me. But it's so that we can help other people. God fills us with power so we can be an influence in this community. God's going to fill us with power so that we can be a witness in this community. God is filling us with surprise, the surprise of his goodness so we can impact people. So that we have promise, we have power, and we have people. That's how God's going to surprise us this year. Some of you know we were up in North Carolina last week and our daughter, our daughter was having surgery. I want to tell you the story about that and that's how we're going to close. Her, her name is Amanda. She's married to a man named Zach. He's a captain in the army. They're stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina in Fayetteville. And um, seven years ago, Amanda started experiencing pain that she had never had before. It was kind of in her back and in her hip, and it would go down her leg and up her back. It was, it was just a lot of pain. And she suffered with that pain for seven years. And over the period of that seven years, she spent well in excess of $5,000 on tests and on doctors. That's shelling out her own money. That doesn't even include whatever the insurance company paid. $5,000, more than $5,000. And she could not find relief. She didn't know what was wrong. She went to doctors and chiropractors. She had tests. She had MRIs, all kinds of things done. The only thing that she discovered was that she had a tear in her labrum, which is a, a, a soft ligament tissue around the hip that cushions it and makes it more stable. There was a tear. There were two different doctors who told her, that is not your problem. So she gets married. They moved to North Carolina. And they find a church, and they go to their very first life group. The very first night, they show up. And here comes another young woman in, in a hip brace, hobbling in. And she began to tell what had happened in the surgery that she had just undergone, and, and all of that. So Amanda kind of gravitates toward her, and they begin to talk. And this young woman begins to tell Amanda all the symptoms that she had been having, all the pain that she had been having, where it was at, and when it would hurt, and so forth. And Amanda's like, ditto. I have this, that's, that's my story. And she, this young woman said, well, here's what I think you should do. Here, find, here's a doctor. Go to him. He's a specialist. I think he can help you. Well, there's several months go by, and this other young woman heals up great and is just telling Amanda, I wish I'd have done it years ago. Great surgery, great results, everything. So Amanda 
has the surgery. That's what she just had last week. She had a hip impingement, and now it's fixed. What is my point? $5,000, seven years of doctors, therapy, massages, you name it. She went through it all. The problem was solved on the first night of a life group by somebody without a medical degree. It's amazing what God can do through people. It's amazing what God can do through you. Because you have what people need. You have the spirit of God within you. You have the promises of God. You have the power of God. And what I pray for Hope Crossings this year is that we start off by saying, God, I want fresh and vibrant promises in my life. And I want to resurrect those promises that I've kind of let slip a little bit. I've kind of forgotten Lord, I want those revived. God, I want to live by the promises and stand on your promises. And God, would you fill me with power that I would stand on your promises and I would have that power to affect people's lives for the kingdom of God. This world only holds our attention for a short period of time, but eternity is forever. God, would you have the pow- your power working through me to affect people's lives for eternity because they are going to spend eternity somewhere. And we want it to be in the presence of God.